so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Guaranteed to have more approval than Sonic the Hedgehog's human teeth, welcome back to Motorsport 101. No, seriously, why does he have human hands? I, I, I don't understand this. Anyway, welcome to episode 190 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood hedgehog, Mr. Andre Harrison, and thanks for listening in, everybody. With me, as always, is Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. Man, this past weekend, it was insane. Everything was insane. Well, except for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, but everything else was insane. <laughs> Also, I propose that um, for this episode, if you are the friendly neighborhood hedgehog, Dre, that um, we change uh, King's name to to Miles Eric King. <laughs> sure. Or Miles Tails Prower. Man, yep. Man. I'll, I'm also changing the name to uh, Rory James Robotnik O'Connell. <laughs> yes, portrayed by Jim Carrey himself. Which, is, to be fair about that trailer, is the one redeeming factor is that Jim Carrey actually looks and sounds like Jim Carrey for the first time in about 10 years. Oh, man. It's, this is going to be a fucking hot mess. <laughs> yes, for yes, Robotnik James O'Connell here for Motorsport 101, your official podcast of the FIM World Sidecar Cross Championship. <laughs> it's the one mm. true FIM championship, goddammit. Forget MotoGP, forget World Superbikes, forget Monster Energy Supercross. Now this is the pinnacle of motorcycle racing. <laughs> King, explain this bullshit. Okay, okay. So, we had our recording slightly later than we usually had this week. And uh, on Monday, in Related Story, which I'm pretty sure we'll bring up later... I decided to delve into the archives of motorsport.tv and sitting there <laughs> and sitting there was a glorious glorious championship the FIM World Sidecar Championship or just enduringly known as World Sidecar Cross and man we decided to watch the 2018 season review on Monday when we normally record and it was an experience <laughs> The it's only the second. It's only the second greatest experience behind the uh, the Marble Olympics twenty nineteen. But that's a. Uh, I mean, to be fair, that's, that's not like the greatest sport. Yeah, that's, not yeah. <laughs> that's not motorsports. It's its own special, unique category. World sidecar cross racing, top quality, everything else. Oh Lord, why? <laughs> <laughs> the introductions to some of these highlight shows and interviews, they look like they're a Tim and Eric skit. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. But the racing is intense. I'm pretty sure over the course of that season, we saw like at least three or four red flag stoppages so an ambulance could go out and circuit and, and carry off an injured rider. And none of you thought, hey, we might stop this. It sounds like a terrible idea. But the no, racing was so going. good. <laughs> 
Yeah, we 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 stand uh, Marvin Van Luken, your reigning and defending world sidecar cross champion, first time champion, looking to become the holder of the new dynasty in sidecar cross. <laughs> oh Lord, oh, I hate both of you. <laughs> like, well, you, King, why would you do this to our to our, to our Discord server? You appreciate greatness, Dre. You can kiss my anyway. <laughs> <laughs> While while I thoroughly beat King into a bloody mess for for spreading such filth in our Discord server, places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. By the time this goes out, there'll be a brand new video out talking about dominance and why it shouldn't be such a dirty word. Thanks, Toto. Really, I mean, thank you. You've, you've upset F1 internet again because goddamn it, you still think you're the second best car in the field. God knows why. God knows why. Anywho. Uh, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our handles personally, you can at harrison101hd, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. If you can follow us on our website, motorsport101.com. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all our shows. Um, and $10 gets you early access to the supporters um, club of our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they are being recorded. Shout out to Rezzy, to Jason, to Steve, and to Charles for listening in live. Oh, Barcelona's just scored. Uh, see, the quality of the Discord server, I get football updates for free while we record. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and you, you also get to discuss the dominance of Marvin Van Luken's passenger, Ben Vander Bogart, who won his fourth World Sidecar Cross Championship with his third different rider. That man just knows I'm, how to get his bike around them corners. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you repeatedly. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to stop. Um... <laughs> Jesus Christ. This concludes our um, sidecar cross discussion for 2019. See you in 2020. Somehow I suspect this won't be the last we hear about sidecar cross on this show. I think we might have accidentally generated our own new meme. I, I fear. I fear for this side of the internet. Anywho, without further ado... Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Later on, we'll be talking about the uh, 2019 Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku. It wasn't a total shit show. Yeah, I'm as surprised as you are. Uh, Formula 2, on the other hand, was a total shit show because Formula 2 never lets us down in that department. We also talk about the Paris E-Prix in Formula E. And we'll be getting into the news. Um, we'll be talking about the Indy 500 entry list, silly season updates, Brendan Hartley making a return to his beloved homeland, and all the shit they got left behind at Talladega. No, seriously. It's well worth listening to. You just gotta trust me on this one, okay? Right. After this brief musical interview, we'll be back to talk about the 25th anniversary of something, well, rather sad, but rather powerful. Right after this. We're recording this on the 1st of May, 2019, and uh, t- today marks the 25th anniversary of the passing of one Ayrton Senna, uh, one half of one of the most tragic weekends in modern motorsport history, um, the same weekend that he and, and Roland Ratzenberger both sadly perished at Imola that weekend, and it was RJ's idea to uh, 
to uh, mark the occasion by just talking about Sam Reno 94 in general um, for a little bit. And I think that's a great idea. So, uh, RJ, what, what, what inspired you for this? And uh, what did you make of that day in 94? Because you're the oldest out of the three of us here. So you probably actually re- vaguely remember that a bit more than we do. Vaguely, yeah. Uh, I mean, this was way before I got Formula One. But as I but as I come to as I came to know the sport, I came to know the legend that is uh, that is Ayrton Senna, and he's and in the twenty five years since his passing, he's become um, he's become as much of a a mythical figure, if if anything else, he's he's it, it's kind of it's strange because after death, as we often do with great athletes, we deify them to the point that it's almost unhealthy that we forget the uh the many complete the many complexities of, of a driver like of certain ascetic character i mean he was he was first and foremost a, a brilliantly quick driver a three-time world champion when his life was taken he was the second winningest driver in formula one history uh one of a very elite club of three-time world champions he he took his 70, 65th pole position on the weekend where he would ultimately lose his life. But he was a very complex character. He was a relentlessly ruthless competitor, um, as demonstrated in his rivalries with the likes of Alain Prost and also Nelson Piquet and Nigel Mansell alongside. He was not afraid to say that he would deliberately take out another driver to, to win a championship. Um mm. But in that, you also had moments of sheer, sheer brilliance. His pole lap in Monaco in 1988, um, his performance in the wet in the Lowly Tolman in 1984 at that same Monaco Grand Prix, that incredible first lap at Donington, drops to six, ends up leading in just half a lap's time, that defensive drive to hold off Mansell in Monaco in 1992, and of course, that emotional first win at home in Sao Paulo at Interlagos in 1991. Um, all of that adds, all of that as well as the controversial bust-ups with Alain Prost at Suzuka in 89 and then in 90. All that adds, there's so much that is about Ayrton Senna. There's so much to his story and his life um, even 25 years later. You know, it's kind of strange with how young the lineup is that you know we don't have a lot of drivers left who can recall growing up and saying that Ayrton Senna was their favorite driver. There's Lewis Hamilton, of course, but we're starting to run out of that generation of drivers now. It is. It's a scary thought when you consider that half the F1 field now is 25 years old, all less themselves. Some of the, like nine out of the uh, 20 drivers on the grid right now weren't even born when Ayrton Senna tragically passed away. And, uh, I mean, how I've always looked at it, and forgive me on this one, but it, it's, it's the sort of situation where if you, if you looked up the definition of what we, I think, perceive as a racing driver in the dictionary, you could probably just slap an A4 size sheet of paper with Ayrton Sanders' face on it and glue it to the dictionary, because that's what he was. He was the embodiment, almost like the comic book superhero version of what we would consider a racing driver to be he was passionate on and off the track he was dedicated he was focused he was as rj said a a, a, just a relentless competitor well arguably the most relentless competitor i have ever seen on a racetrack i've never seen anything like it where the guy was openly willing to wreck a guy for a championship which is obviously the most awful thing but 
we almost in our heads tried to justify it because it was Ayrton and just because that's just who he was you know and you're right he was a he was a magical magical driver and he is the walking definition of the eye test and this is coming from the guy who has probably been the most cynical towards it in his all-time legacy on this show. I openly admit this. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to prevent the angry emails from coming in right now because I know I've been harsh on Ayrton in the past. But there is many, many magical things about Ayrton that made him who he was to give him this aura. this almost this, this mythical presence um, in Formula 1 and just... Yeah, it's it's incredible. He was an incredible driver, an incredible human being. Sometimes baffling, sometimes, you know, terrible. But all the time, he made you care. He was spectacular. Arguably the most spectacular driver ever in Formula 1. And that's a hard thing to accomplish in a sport of engineering, mechanics of nuts and bolts. Sometimes we don't appreciate the little details and that squishy bit behind the wheel. And, uh... Ayrton was that guy. He really, really was that guy. And it's it's such a shame. I mean, to, to borrow a phrase, the, the, the star that shines twice as brightly shines for half as long. It was only his 11th season when he died. Right. It, 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 and it was it, it was just like that. Is it was over. And just when he was entering that twilight period of Williams and then it all just suddenly stopped. And when he, when he passed away, you know, this was at a time where we still feel like he could have easily won more maybe four championships maybe five who knows and you know to go back to that point of how ruthless a competitor was you know he was also the man who pulled over and practiced at spa franker shop to get help eric comas out of his stricken Liget, uh with his engine still running and his car set to burst into flames uh he was the guy who was renowned for being a relent for being a unapologetic humanitarian uh for his native brazil where where many other drivers before him maybe wouldn't have been as invested as much yeah that's that's the beauty and the genius of center all at once you know um i still like i've met i've recommended it many times on here and I'll repeat it again. Top Gear's tribute to Ayrton Senna. They did during... It was one of their all-time great segments for me. Um, not only because it wasn't just a puff piece. It, it was a it was a character examination. They got Martin Brundle in there who raced against him in, in, in Formula 3 and, and, and talked about some of his most iconic moments and the genius and, you know, the... Almost, you want to say, not in a harsh way, the hypocrisy of him where... He would recognize win a champion, but then he would also be the first guy to leap out of a car and help someone else who got hurt. It was truly bizarre sometimes, but that was his genius. And that's one of the few drivers I will describe as a genius. I think it's an overused word, but he's, he's truly magic. And I don't think F1 will ever fill that hole of, of Ayrton not being there. Imagine how beautiful a presence he'd be on the F1 grid right now. Right. Um, he certainly then, he was certainly one of the most candid characters when he was in the sport and it, when he was here with us and you know I could imagine you know him still being there now. Um, I, I want to talk as well because you know much of the much of the tragedy anniversary focuses around Senna's passing, but it's easy to forget as well that we've lost 
Roland Ratzenberger as well. He was a 33-year-old rookie journeyman driving for a team that would eventually go on to not even complete two seasons before it folded in Simtech. Um, here was a guy who came up to through Formula Ford into Formula 3, was a true journeyman racing touring cars across Europe, Britain, and Japan. He raced Group C prototypes. Uh, he tested an IndyCar. Um, he was... He was actually very close to being one of Jordan's first drivers back in 1991. That never came to be, so he had to wait until 94 to get his first chance. And maybe it's so easy to forget him because he was just a he was a true journeyman who had only driven one race and failed to qualify for another and was really fighting to just to get into the San Marino Grand Prix by the time he crashed to his death the day before we lost Senna. I still remember reading, watching Senna and, and, and reading books about, you know, Professor Sid telling Ayrton the, the day of Ratzenberger's passing, let's, let, let's go and retire together. We'll go fish. And uh, now Ayrton felt like he was duty-bound to race. And a, the selfish part of me wishes that he actually taken Sid up on that request. It's a it's a it's a bitterly sad one, but uh, let us remember uh, the greatness of uh, of Ayrton. And hey, you got any quick words to add in there, Kings? And I've been remarkably quiet knowing you um, on this. Well, it's for Ayrton Senna. It's it's kind of something that. We don't have the environment for today where we have someone, you know, stand out in an era of Titans where they could be, where someone be a world champion of world champions, be head and shoulders above, you know, Alan Prost, uh, Nigel Mansell, and Nelson PK, where it's kind of weird that we're in an age of F1 where the past decade we've only had, you know, three world champions and like only two of them are still in the sport right it's terrifying when you put it like that jeez makes makes you think um as i said before my rec i recommend it one more time uh, go find the top gear segment on it um go watch center it's well worth a watch and like the onboard footage alone is worth the watch worth the viewing experience it's uh Pretty magical watching a driver of his just unreal ability just go to work on a on a stick shift <laughs> in a car of a thousand horsepower as as you do. And uh, again, Top Gear segment on it is genuinely brilliant. You could skip the bit at the end when Hamilton drives his car and basically has a crisis, but <laughs> <laughs> the first twelve minutes are well worth watching. Trust me. And uh, to wrap up this segment, I wanted to uh, tell you a short quote, and it's not. It's not the one you're thinking of. And it was someone on Twitter called Brooke Cohen who retweeted it. And I want to give full credit here because uh, it wasn't it wasn't me in that sense. And it everyone borrows the famous set of quotes of, of uh, if, you, if you're no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. Because, you know, we say that every time Verstappen tries something audacious. But <laughs> this is the one that I think is... People, people should be remembering a bit more frequently. It goes, on a given day, a given circumstance, you think you have a limit, and you then go for this limit, and then you touch this limit, and you think, 
Okay, this is the limit. As soon as you touch this limit, something happens and you suddenly can go a little bit further. With your mind power, your determination, your instinct, and the experience as well, you can fly very high. Rest in power, N. And you roll in two. We'll be back to talk about Baku right after this. Fellas, I'm checking my notes here. Apparently, Baku wasn't a total shit show. What the hell happened? Well, oh. at the start of the weekend, um, it was looking that way. Well, yeah, I, I guess practice counts. Yeah, practice does count. <laughs> it's not Eat often it, we talk about F. Yeah, we, can't, we we hardly ever talk about FP1 sessions when we break down a race review. But uh, man. <laughs> We're talking about practice today. (laughs) We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a race. Practice. George is sitting there. Uh, He's supposed to be Williams' franchise driver, and he just runs over a manhole cover. And it completely wrecks the underbelly and the chassis of the car. Like, completely ripped it from underneath. And I I don't know if anybody saw this, because F1 put it on their Instagram page as well. Charles Leclerc loosens the same manhole cover, like, literally moments before George Russell had, uh, had, had driven over it, and then the whole thing comes off and wrecks the other side of the car. Uh... And I, I, amazingly, that's not even like the peak of the shit show here going on there because the the session's red flagged. It is not restarted. The session ends virtually immediately because I have to check all. I think it was four hundred manhole covers littered over Baku to make sure it wouldn't happen again. Because uh, for obvious reasons, that could be catastrophic if someone drives over another one. It's loose. And it wrecks their car. Yeah. So they had to red flag it. It was it was red flagged and the session was not restarted. The recovery truck that is carrying George Russell's car back to the pits crashes into the Pirelli support bridge. The, literally the crane that's carrying the car hits the bridge. And then that pours hydraulic fluid all over George Russell's sparkly Williams. Because of course it does. <laughs> As a result, FP1 is cancelled. Hashtag cancelled. Hashtag cancelled. Because on the manhole side of things, unlike most other street circuits where the manholes are welded are welded shut in place, uh, the Baku manhole covers, for some reason, the FI gives them an exemption, so they're just clamped down from underneath, and apparently the clamp fittings failed. Well done, Baku. <laughs> well done. Uh. Oh my god. That's uh that's not pretty at all. Um <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. That's that's insane. I th- I thought we'd see this Why? at the first Baku Grand Prix, but you know. <laughs> I I've got nothing. I, I I've literally got nothing here. That's uh crazy. Um like so yeah, the yeah, so FP1 is probably the most uh, remarkable FP1 of the last two or three years. Um, we fast forward to uh, qualifying. Valtteri brought out with a surprise, I guess. Pole position is second of the year so far. Um, 
beats Lewis Hamilton, who very nearly got himself out of a hole. I remember he was two temps down in his final lap through Sector 1, and he very nearly stole Paul from under Valtteri's nose, but couldn't do it. But uh, the session was marked, well, Kjofer in general was marked by Robert Kubica, been in it in a in a Q1, <laughs> followed then uh, again, right again castle section. Remember that it becomes important later. Um, they clear up Kubitz's car in the, at the end of uh, Q1, and uh, they come out for Q2. And with about seven minutes to go, Charles Leclerc puts it in the castle. Oh dear! Turnade Baku. Rip. Not even once. <laughs> Not even once. Not even once. Uh, Leclerc bins it, parks it on the on, on the wall at turn eight in the castle. Session again, red flagged. Leclerc's initial time was good enough to make FP3, but uh, he would play no part in FP3 due to a severely damaged car. He would go on to start the race from eighth on the grid after a couple of penalties. We've got to talk about Pierre Gasly here. Because... Uh, <laughs> Pierre Gasly, like who you know, has not had the best of times. Mm-hmm. You know, Gasly had like he had to. He found out on Friday he had to start from the pit lane because he missed the Waybridge call. God damn it, Pierre! Excluded <laughs> from qualifying not once, not twice, three times. Three times late. So, what? <laughs> so let me get this straight. One time was the Waybridge miss. Yep. One was his car being over the fuel flow limit. I think it was number two. And the third one was... Yeah, because I know uh, Giovinazzi had to drop 10 grip places for taking the additional power unit element. And Kimi Raikkonen was excluded from qualifying eighth after his car failed a front wing deflection test on the morning of the race. (laughs) We're talking about flexi wings again? Flexi wings, everyone's favorite aero topic. Yay! Yay! Woo! Um, oh, change gearbox, apparently. There you go. Oh, oh yeah, change gearbox. So, like, heading, like besides the change gearbox and the missed Waybridge, Gasly went into the qualifying session, knew that he would start dead last. It was one of three cars to start from the pit lane. Yeah, there was a queue in there by the time the race actually started, because again, Kibitzer and Raikkonen were both in there as well. Um... Crazy stuff. Um, so Rockingham was DQ'd for a front wing infringement, and Kibitza broke Park Ferme after the car was wrecked to start from pit lane. Might as well at that point. So by the time we had the reshuffled grid, Charles Leclerc actually ended up in eighth place despite binning it in a Q2 qualifying session. Weird how these things turn out. <laughs> but, uh, but it it becomes important that Charles Leclerc did not set any lap time in Q3. Because he got to start the race on the medium tires, the only one of the front runners on the so-called alternate strategy on what was projected to be a one-stopper. Gotta love those one-stoppers. Yeah. This was because during the crash at the castle, he flat-spotted all four tires. And I believe the rule is it comes down to the safety delegates, uh, basically, to discretion what tires to start them on, basically, you know, in case of, of, of damage and whatnot. Um, they have to make the call. They said, okay, the Leclerc's flat spotted all four tyres. He could start on the, he could start on a special set of mediums, basically, because, yeah. you know, only fair, basically. Um, so yeah, at their discretion, they gave him an extra set. They gave him an extra set. Um, so yeah, um, Leclerc had to start on the alternate strategy. Race starts. Um, Hamilton gets better launch, but, uh, I love, I love that, but like after the race, both Merck's drivers admitted they were kind of soft on each other. Well, that was cute. 
Valtteri was like, I took it a little easy. Hamilton was like, no, I didn't push him enough. And I'm like, okay, that's hilarious. Both Mercs were like, let's not wreck each other, basically. Which inadvertently meant to uh, accidentally both Mercs basically running exactly how they were after turn three. And uh, Bottas kept his lead despite Hamilton's better start. Sebastian was boxed in. Leclerc lost a spot, but Leclerc quickly carved his way through the uh, upper midfield to before he got up to uh, eventually overtake Verstappen and get into P4. And uh, the strategy comes into play later on. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Leclerc in a minute and for, where Ferrari sits on this one because we've got to talk about, you know, M M Mercedes here. Because, spoiler alert, kids, it's Mercedes 1 and 2. Again. Again? <laughs> this... Again, this is the first time in the history of F1 where a team has had four straight 1-2 finishes to start the season. I just don't but know it if we can make up seven tenths a lap, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, apparently Ferrari was 0.5 faster in testing. Like, who'd have thought it? Um, but yet, by some miraculous reason, Mercs have won all four of the opening races and had four 1-2s. As well, it's ridiculous. Bottas pretty much led from start to finish outside of the Leclerc alternate strategy plan, which we'll get to. Had a little bit of a scare at the end, you know. Lost about half a second, made a minor mistake on the on the on the third to last lap of Hamilton trying to throw everything at Valtteri to try and find the way through. But Bottas came back, fastest lap on the penultimate lap of the Grand Prix in the clutch, got enough of a space and won the race. I mean. Hard not to argue. Bottas was virtually perfect all weekend. He wanted yeah, to make up know. for last year because you'll remember last year he had that back of winning his grasp and then a rogue piece of debris just took it away from him. This time he wanted to leave no doubt. He won from pole position. It was a convincing victory and he's back on top of the points. Yeah, back championship leader by a single point. Uh, Valtteri now um, after that one. But again, drove flawlessly pretty much all weekend long. I mean, qualifying on pole position and then one lead in every single racing lap that, that essentially mattered. It was a flawless weekend from Valtteri in the end. And, you know, you know maybe, just maybe, this isn't, you know, the, the fluke we all thought it might have been last year. You know, because he's, he's driving very, very well. I mean, he wasn't anywhere near in Bahrain, bless him, but... Besides that, he's been pretty much on it all season long, and I don't. I think Hamilton's going to have his hands full if this keeps up. Yes. Then again, it's always been it's always been the second half of the season that's caught Valtteri out, and that's been the problem. So hopefully, hopefully this holds. Um, if, if, although, if you're Lewis Hamilton, you're not going to be too disappointed at that one, are you, King? Uh, no, solid second place finish, though. It from the broadcast, it felt like it was, out, out front at least for the front runners, it was uh, a tale of two battles for Lewis Hamilton, where it was one battle against Valtteri Bottas, where he had to slowly chip away and then beat Valtteri wheel to wheel. On the other side of things for Lewis Hamilton, he had what I like to call a spreadsheet duel with Charles Leclerc to see if he could be able to make enough time up on Char make enough time up on Leclerc that so when Leclerc finally pitted, that he would be ahead of Charles Leclerc, which I guess is a good segue. <laughs> it is a good segue, but you, you, you forget Lewis Hamilton had, had a third, more gratifying and terrible problem to deal with that weekend, King. You know what it was? What was it? The red wedding scene of Game of Thrones. <sighs> <laughs> 
And there were also reports that he had a fourth problem of where you had him and his plane at a at a like literally play real life ace combat. Uh, as it turns out, some parts of this were exaggerated. He was actually not on a flight that was uh, that was under investigation from NATO's Air Force. As you do, but that flight did exist. It exists. It just didn't have Lewis Hamilton on it. But man, that if it did, that story would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah. Would have been a lot more fun, but sadly not. I mean, he's he's got up to season three of Game of Thrones, and he's he's he's, uh, he's out here not living his best life. He can't believe he can't believe what's been going on, poor fella. No wonder he's been so distracted this weekend. Um, but we'll, we'll cover into Ferrari. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, a pretty nondescript third place, all told, didn't really do anything wrong besides maybe not getting a toe on his final hot lap in qualifying, because it looked like the Ferrari might have had something there, but he insisted on going out and leading the front, and it might have come back to haunt him on that one. You know, the 1.6-kilometer front straight might help. Just throwing that out there, boys, you know? Yeah, a bit of, bit of shaking bake. Just, just, just a bit, you know? Grrr. Anyway, yeah, like I said, Vela was in a pretty quiet third. I mean, he bless him, he tried... He threw the house at Lewis Hamilton over the second half of that race, but every time he got close to Hamilton's car, Hamilton was able to counter-attack, and it, like the Ferrari just didn't have it in the legs to, to give Hamilton a, a, a true fight over the, uh, over the entirety of the race. Charles Leclerc, on the other hand, as mentioned, started eighth, and, was put, and obviously had to be in an alternate strategy. Um, he started on the medium compound tyre and then transitioning onto the soft with about 16 laps to go. And yeah, King, it was a glorified time trial for a Leclerc threat that actually never ended up being there in the end. Really weird. Yeah, because the strategy was to have him effectively run long in the mediums, and, you know, your one stop is to switch to the softs, which, again, while everyone is on the slower tire, you're on the faster tire and have a much lighter car. You know, a much lighter car than everyone else when they were on the soft. So, on paper... It should play out. You should win this spreadsheet duel. How it actually played out, he destroyed his mediums to the point where he was pretty much, you know, driving on ice for the last couple laps of his stint. Yeah, it, it's it, it didn't work out for Charles in that sense, and did as Clam points out in the Discord, didn't have the pace or the durability to make it work, and he ended up just being a sitting duck. He was probably around maybe two or three laps a bit too long in the first place, but then that would put him out of the range of running the soft tyre in the first place, which wasn't as good holding it up um, compared to what their teams thought. I mean, they had Christian Horner on the sidelines, because, hey, Sky Sports F1, well, they always have Christian Horner on there. He said himself, softs didn't last as long as they were hoping, basically. Like, 16 was really the upper limit, um, most guys are coming in laps 10 to 12 on, on the soft compound tire. So, hey, job done if you're Pirelli, I, I guess, you know. But uh, I guess. You know, but Leclerc just didn't have the pace to make it work. He ended up finishing in a pretty lonely fifth behind a very, very fast Max Verstappen. But, hey, they finally put him in for a fastest lap strategy. Hey. Oh, it paid yeah. off. Bonus point. Oh, man. But, I mean, I mean, like, you know, Briefly going back to Leclerc, they, they, you could tell they immediately knew their strategy was flawed when they saw everyone coming in early for the, for the softs. They knew that 
But, and by the time they knew, it was too late to change to a two-stop strategy, because you need to plan that out in advance. Because they could easily have pitted early, switched to the softs, then, you know, do a soft run, pit again for another set of softs, but you need to plan that ahead in advance. You need to have the tires available to to have two sets of softs, softs during the race. Yeah, the point to come in for Leclerc to make a two-stop work would have been about lap 19, 2021, and they kept him out longer because they realized, ah, shit, this ain't working out. Oh, and in all, tr- yeah. in all truthfulness, Leclerc's chances of victory were compromised not because of this strategy, but going all the way back to that qualifying crash, which I know he was so, so hard on himself, and he doesn't really have to be. Yeah, it arguably did cost him a win and a sure podium, but man, Charles, you're... You're doing all right. You're doing okay, buddy. Yeah, I mean, man, I think we're going to get to the part of the season where Leclerc is going to be a genuine threat to Europe, where he has a lot more experience, a lot more experience on these circuits. Well, we are going to Catalonia next week. Just saying, Barcelona. Going to Catalonia. <laughs> then we got his home race in Monaco. Then we have, you know, Paul Ricard. He has a lot of experience there. Oh lord he's gonna be a threat in europe it's gonna be scary i i, I can't help but shake the feeling you, you have to be very careful when it comes to charles because there's been yes, there's been you can't be too aggressive there's so much hype and yet not an awful lot to show for it just yet i mean don't get me wrong not entirely his fault we all know what happened in bahrain but uh we've got to be a little bit careful here because uh like I think the internet was very soft on old Charles over this weekend because I guarantee if it was any other of the big five that makes that error, we bury him where he stands. And Leclerc was like, oh, poor Charles, you know, rub his head, tell him it's all going to be okay. It's like, I'm just saying that goodwill is going to run out very soon. I I guarantee you because we are the internet and we are bitter and cynical and twisted and we ruin good things. I'm just saying, yeah, I've seen this story I'll, before. <sighs> yeah, all, all I'll take is just one overtake move where he gets a bit too, you know, aggressive or anxious and it ends up in a collision and the, <laughs> the tide's going to turn <laughs> for Charles Leclerc. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. We've got to be very careful on this. But, uh, you know, not not the best day at the office once again for Ferrari. Stop me if you've heard that one before. But, uh, yeah, not the best day for him out there. Third and fifth for the second race in a row now, actually. Just the other way around. How about that? I should have. No. Yeah. 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 First race in a row. Yeah. Third. Yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, the, the Ferrari bread to the Red Bull racing sandwich. Yeah, it's, it's the third race in a row they finished third and fifth. I think that's kind of hilarious. Because uh, they did it in Bahrain, too. Yeah. It was third and fifth. <laughs> and I think it, it, it quietly speaks to how competitive the Red Bull Honda is. I don't think it's a race... I, I don't think it's a car that has the potential of winning races, but for every other position in the field, oh, that Red Bull Honda's really competitive. No, and I, I have to, I have to salute Max Verstappen. He's he's might be my driver of the year so far. He has been so good in that Red Bull Honda so far this season. Man has shut up, got his head down, and got on with it, and he is basically keeping pace with the Ferrari on numerous occasions. He is not putting, he's not put a, he's not really put a foot wrong so far this season. And he's driving very, very well indeed. Um so yeah, yeah. he's oddly enough for me to say Max is really starting to mature as a driver. 
See, I told you that take wasn't too spicy from the last episode. <laughs> get out. Get, get the fuck out right it's now. Like, we got to talk about mature. Racing Point. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Formula 1.5 winner, Sergio Perez, everybody. Hey. Woo! Hey. Cheeky Checo, ladies and gentlemen. He's back with a vengeance. Qualified in fifth, which went completely under the radar. Best of the rest honors to Sergio Perez. Stunning bit of work from him there in fifth. He seems to like it around here, given his previous two podium finishes. And again, the best of all the big free, all the non-big free runners, with uh, a sixth place finish, seven seconds ahead of ahead of Carlos Sainz. Brilliant drive from from Checo, if I do say so myself. Yeah, but McLaren so, looked really, really good this yeah. weekend. That Carlos Sainz finished seventh. Lando Norris finished eighth. They were up in the top ten all day on a weekend where the factory Renault team virtually had nothing, nothing for anybody. Indeed, I think it's the first time in a full season they've had both cars in the points. Um, yeah, and a sneak preview to the constructors' standings. Uh, McLaren Renault are fourth in the constructors. They're best of the rest. Oh, it's a good God. start. It's a good start. I just hope for their sake that it lasts because we saw this movie last year. We did. And then yeah. the then the then the film reel just kind of burned to a crisp by the time we got to Barcelona. It did. But I, admittedly, the the best of the rest contest is ultra competitive. That you could be fourth in the constructors championship. With only 18 points. <laughs> Bit one-sided. Just just, just saying. Um, and yeah, Oh no, when, when we run down the rest of the table, we're going to realize how ludicrously close the midfield is. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, some other notes to take away. Pierre Gasly. I mean, again, he had a sensational drive. He really he started from pit lane, had gone all the way up into sixth place. Really the best possible result on the table on paper. And then his drive shaft fails. God damn it! Um, yeah, it was. I think. Fi- I think this race will have turned around. Is the perception that you know? Yeah, it's it's not ideal that Pierre Gasly has been struggling so much. But this was a genuinely good race for him, and it's great yeah. to see that he's starting to have confidence in the car. You know, when it's able to finish a race, it helps. You know, but uh, yeah, again, that was a much more confident drive from Gasly. A lot more aggressive, made the passes he needed to make. Car was good, was running very, very well. Was probably going to be a driver of the day nominee or contender, which somehow went to Charles Leclerc. Well done, internet. That, well, I don't know how you came to that conclusion, um, but but uh, yeah, drive shaft failure had to park it. Everybody was begging for a safety car. VSC, bad luck. Oh dear, but uh, yeah, Gasly retiring from sick after a pit lane start, real shame, great great try from him. Um, his former Red Bull teammates had other ideas, um, Daniel Ricciardo and Daniel Kvyat had one of the highlights of the race, and not for, not for a particularly good reason. Uh, we saw it into turn three, um, Ricciardo was behind Kvyat, DRS wing open, he goes for an audacious Daniel Ricciardo dive bomb. We, you know it, I know it, and oh wait, this time it didn't work. Um, he, he goes straight across the apex, and because of how he's come straight through the corner and off into the slip road behind turn three, Kvyat has to delay himself turning the car around, and he's ended up parking it in front of the apex. Now, this would be fine. Normally, they'd both just reverse out and continue on with their merry day. 
But then Ricardo reverses into the back of Daniel Kvyat's car, and they both have to retire from technical problems. Well done, Danny. Great driving, son. Yeah, that's that's not what return the sender means, Ricardo. Yeah, that that yeah, that stamp got licked, didn't it? Uh, uh. <laughs> Listen, most modern cars have backup cameras on them. That's what they're yes, there for, has, my man. He has side view mirrors. Use them. It's got blind spot monitors on it. <laughs> Uh, Formula One cars don't actually have any of these uh, amenities. Just throwing that out there. Mm. Yeah, just the side view mirrors, but he clearly didn't use them. I love Danny Kvyat's uh, quote about this um, after the race where he said, well, you know, Daniel's a former teammate. I have a lot of respect for him. I get along well with him. But there was like a giant straight three kilometers later on down the lap where he could have overtaken me then. You know, he came over, he apologized, said sorry, and that's cool. Next time I'll buy him a new rear view window for his car. <laughs> nice, subtle burn there from Danny Kay, who was driving pretty well until that incident happened, unfortunately. Um, put them both out of the race. Well done, Danny. He gets a free-place grid drop for Spain uh, for city driving, <laughs> as I like to call it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Here's a quick rundown. Of the grid itself, and I agree with you in, in the Discord chat there, James. I think three was a bit was a bit lenient, if you ask me. That was dumb shit from Danny Ricardo. Um, but uh, yeah, here's the full grid line. Here's the full, here's the full result. Valtteri Bottas wins the Baku Grand Prix. Well done to Baku, and well done to him. Um, Lewis Hamilton just a second and a half behind in second. Sebastian Vettel third, ahead of Max Verstappen in fourth. Charles Leclerc in fifth who had to basically go through the pits three times, poor fella. Um, Checo in sixth place, uh, best of the rest, who was only seven seconds behind a Ferrari. Ain't that funny? Um, also, as mentioned, Charles Leclerc got the bonus point for fast up, so he gets 11 points instead of 10. Carlos signs in seventh, ahead of Lando Norris in eighth again. I think the first time in about a calendar year since McLaren had both cars in the points. Um... Lance, sorry, Lance Stroll. I've got to mention Lance Stroll getting in the points for Racing Point as well. So Lance Stroll is pointing out both cars in the points in ninth place uh, from 13th to 9th. Good drive from Lance Stroll there as well. And Kimi Raikkonen from the pit lane to the points. Scored a point in 10th place. Well done, Kimi. He's driving again very well so far this season. The old boy still got it. Um, Alex Albon in 11th and Antonio Giovinazzi 12th. The Haas is nowhere to be seen. K-Mag in 13th. Nico Hulkenberg had a really poor weekend by his standards in 14th place. Um, was just nowhere. Got knocked out in Q1 and didn't really recover. Um, George Russell in 15th. Still with a slightly scratched underbelly. Um, Robert Kubica in 16th. There was four DNFs. As mentioned, Pierre Gasly due to drive shaft issues. Grosjean had a brake failure. So he didn't finish the race either. And as mentioned, Kvyat and Ricardo both hitting each other. Uh, on the turn three outskirts. That was the all four of the DNFs. Drivers' Championship after four races, and it's 1 2, 2 1, 2 1, 1 2 for Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. Bottas with a one point lead in the championship over Lewis Hamilton, that fastest lap in Australia coming back into play. That's all that separates them after four races 87 to 86. Then another 35 points back already is Sebastian Vettel in third, despite back-to-back podium finishes. He's a point ahead of Max Verstappen in fourth, who has finished in the top four in all four races so far. Good lad. Um, He's four points ahead of Charles Leclerc in fifth place on 47 points. And then there is 
bit of a gap, uh, shall we say, to Checo in sixth. On th- there's three guys on 13 points right yeah. now. The almighty scrap in Formula 1.5. <laughs> Yeah, we have a three-way tie for the Formula 1.5 lead right now. Checo, Gasly, and Raikkonen all have 13 points each. And Raikkonen is, by the looks of it, well, my count in the years, yes, the only guy in Formula 1.5 who has scored points in every race so far. Um, season 8th also with 13 points. Lando Norris has 12. And then K-Mag rounds off the top 10 with 6. Constructors. Oh, this makes me interesting reading. Mercs. Again, virtually perfect. According to Charles, 98.3% of the maximum available points so far. Three of the fastest lap points are what's all that's separating them from perfection. On 173, they are already 74 points ahead of Ferrari on 99. Oh dear. Uh, Red Bull Racing on 64. Now it gets interesting. The Formula 1.5 battle. McLaren, fourth overall, as King alluded to, on 18 points. They're one point ahead of Racing Point, who have 17. Alfa Romeo with 13, Raikkonen carrying them with all of their points so far. Come on, Gio, get up there. And um, King's beloved Renault struggling for 12th. Um, their only points of... Uh, am I right saying that Hulkenberger scored all 12 of their points so far? Oh, no, doesn't Ricardo got yeah, a few? Yeah, Hulken... Hulkenberg has scored most of the points. I need to double check the, Hulkenberg's the point tallies. Got, they, they both got six each, actually. I just yeah, I just, okay, they're equal. I just double check. They both have a seventh place each um, on that one. Oh God, only two points finishes across the whole team. Banana bat's looking good, King. Banana <laughs> bat is looking exceptional. Yeah, it's looking flawless, my friend. Beautiful, muy grande. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Renault in, in a distant 7th on 12 points. Haas on 8th. Hashtag still better than Red Bull, apparently. Um, well, they're better than one Red Bull-owned team at the moment. Yeah, the Toro Rosso Honda boys um, with only 4 points between them so far. Still waiting for uh, still waiting for more points on there. And only on 4. And Williams still yet to score. Have not even cracked the top 14 yet so far this season. Sigh. Now, what do we make of Baku here, boys? Because I mean, it it was okay. It just it, it was it wasn't terrible, but it, it it but it wasn't the shit show we were all hoping for. Is that fair to say? I was fine with it not being a shit show, but the strategic battle between Leclerc and the Mercedes just never materialized. As King mentioned, that kind of put a damper on things. It did. I mean, for me, it was like watching one of those... I told you on Twitter, it was like watching one of those old Playboy movies you, you would get. Those guys in the UK who's ever heard of the channel of Movies for Men will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Like, after 11 o'clock, it's that post-Watershed hour. You, 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 you snuck downstairs, the parents have gone to bed, you start watching the movie, and it's like, ooh, they're getting hot and heavy here in, in, in the downstairs cabinet. Great. You get some boobs, you get a bit of gash... You don't get anything else, and you end up just being, like, half flat. It's it's never ideal. We've all been there. Any British kid under the age of 17 knows exactly what I'm talking about. Don't try and deny it, listener. Nod your head. That's it. Good man. You know what I'm talking about. 5.5 out of 10, like, we'll still get off to. Um, because we're 17. But it wasn't... <laughs> I love the choice because what's the, what's the podcast come to? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. But uh, should we talk about Formula 2, boys? Oh, God, yes. 
Let's talk about that safety car restart in the feature race. What the hell what happened? happened, lad? Like, I oh, don't man. know. <laughs> I slept through this, so we've we got to back this up. So, so to put this into context, there's about nine laps to go. We're just coming back from a safety car restart in the feature race. Um, Jack Aitken is in the lead. Nick DeVries is second. Nicholas Latifi in third. And Sergio Sete Camera is running in fourth place until... Oh, he gets stacked into by Luca Giotto. Oh, dear. Yeah, a deer. It's like a horse with horns. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think there was much Giotto could have done about that. I think he himself was nudged, wasn't he? Yeah, Um. Louis Delatraz further on back the grid because they all stacked up, plowed into the back of Dorian Boccalacci. So Delatraz and Boccalacci's race were ruined too. It was a hot mess. It was a hot goddamn mess. And, uh... God! This was a hot mess of driver follies. Poor Sean Galeo and poor Mahavir Ragunathan. What do you mean, poor? Well, Galeo? Yeah, Sean, Sean Galeo had to, had to start from the back because he was disqualified and qualified. For what was he disqualified and qualifying for, King? Um, well, he ended up in an incident where his car needed to be restarted, uh, got in the gas a bit too early, and hit two marshals. Not maliciously, but just kind of carelessly knocking them over on their keister. This three years yeah, after it, he, uh, this three years after he put uh, Nobuhara Matsushita on blast for driving like a lunatic in 2016. Uh, by the way, who took feature race pole for this race? Uh, Nobby. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's ironic. Mm, just, just, just a sad. Just a tad. I knew that Centennial Cup pick would come good one day. <laughs> oh, it didn't come good in the races, though. No, he didn't. finished 13th in the feature, 12th in the sprint. And, uh, I have here Ragunathan. Oh, I don't know if this one might have been worse, because the spin turn is a hard, as a, it's easy to pull off in theory, but hard in practice. As demonstrated when he turned a simple spin turn into a 300-point, uh, three-point turn. Yeesh. <sighs> You can tell they don't have many street tracks in Boss GP. But that's the thing. He almost turned it into a top 10 finish in the feature. Oh, my <laughs> He finished 11th. Yeah, he was so close. It was scary. I was like, no, listen, you guys don't understand, right? If Rangunathan scores a point in a Formula 2 feature race, the whole planet gets sucked up into the path of a, of a black hole. We can't have this, Okay. The, the racing gods cannot allow, otherwise we all die. It'll be something out of Mortal Kombat 11 story mode. We can't have this. Nope, nope, nope. We dodged a bullet on this one today, folks. Seriously. Can't have this shit. Crazy stuff. But, uh, yeah. And out of, and out of all this lunacy, Jack Aitken won the race. Aitken? The other yep. British guy? <laughs> <laughs> the other British guy. It's... Sorry, I was talking. I was too busy. I was. I'm fluent in Sky Sports promo talk. Um, it's like, yeah, we had George Russell and Alex Albon, who's like the other British guy, even though he doesn't claim to be British. Like he, he's as tight as it gets, but we claim him anyway. And oh yeah, we got Aiken too. Great, uh, he won. Nice, good for him. Yes, Aiken gets his first ever feature race win. Nice. And uh, Nick DeFries in second with uh, King's cousin Jordan in third. 
That's a bit of an upset as well. I mean, Jordan King's just coming back from, uh, you know, being in IndyCar. He probably shouldn't have lost his seat either, because he was actually pretty good in IndyCar. <sighs> yeah, and then he passes Nicholas Latifi around at that final restart, you know, once we got all the carnage cleaned up and gets on the podium. Good driving from old Jordan King there. That was some good stuff. Like, it really was. Impressive, impressive driving from him there. And uh, in the sprint race, it was Nicholas Latifi that came for again to win the sprint race. Good stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, this one puts him in what is now a 19... Excuse me, a... Yeah, it's a 19-point lead over Jack Aitken in the standings. Wins the feature race, but... Man, it's a bit of an upset for Ecuadorian-American Juan Manuel Correa, the Sauber Jr., coming home in second ahead of Aitken in third. Good shit from Correa. That's a really yeah, nice he, drive. <sighs> yeah, he was looking especially struggleicious in Barcelona, but he finished seventh in the feature and second in the sprint. And he was really happy about that podium, was making some terrific late mace proves. It was even challenging Latifi for that sprint race victory. Yeah. Though the headline in the race reviews for the sprint race was not about the podium. It was about the driver who started 19th on the grid and ended up finishing fifth, Mick Schumacher. Mm, I'm shocked, really. <laughs> yeah, it was a good way to salvage after, you know, failing to finish the, uh, the feature race after a spin. So he's buried down in ninth in the championship right now between Louis Delatraz and Antoine Hubert. Uh, your top five in the Drivers' Championship, Latifi on 62, Aitken on 43, Luca Giotto, despite retiring from the sprint race, still third in 39 points, Nick DeVries in fourth on uh, 38 points, he had that second and that fourth, and Sergio Sete Camera in fifth, and Juan Manuel Correa jumping all the way up in the sixth ahead of Jordan King, Delatraz, Schumacher, and Hubert to round out the top ten. Yeah, fantasy heading the year up, just like Latifi. Latifi's looking like the solid title favorite. Yeah, oh, man. W w guess what, guys? I'm flipping the lid up. I'm pressing the Journeyman F2 Champion Klaxon. Here he <laughs> oh, goes. The, the fourth year fun ruiner is back, baby. <laughs> Nicholas Latifi, come on down. <laughs> it's hey, hey, should mention, should mention. That's Williams. That's Williams' rear driver, Nicholas Latifi. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's, it's it's only his fourth full-time season. I guess it's, it's not yeah. quite so bad. Uh, yeah. Also, we get Formula Three coming in on the calendar once we get to Barcelona. Hooray! Nice More support races. More on that later on in the show. Hooray! Yeah, Formula Two was carnage. Go watch it. Um, basically. Um, after this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about Formula E in Paris, and, uh, somehow, one streak ended, but another continued. I have moments of silence and, and pause for reflection on the end of the Formula E pole position streak. Just when we thought you had it. We lost it again. <laughs> God damn it, Pascal. Sweet. Sorry. Check notes. Line slashed <laughs> out. Uh, Oliver Rowland of his second career Formula E pole position on, on this one after Mahindra was uh, disqualified from qualifying. What was it for again, King? Was it some sort of a battery infringement? Uh... No tires. Uh, oh. Their tires were their tires were below the uh, mandated pressure. 
Oh, the old tire pressure. Ah. Pa- Pascal. Pascal went on Instagram and went full Tom Brady. Went full Tom Brady. Well, did, did, did he smash his phone up and then order a, a couple of Thai prostitutes? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Thai massages. Sorry. <laughs> no, but he, he claimed that uh, that it was unfair because of the temperatures, even though the FIA stated that, number one, they checked the tires. Like, Pascal claimed that it was unfair because of the change in temperature after qualifying, that it got cooler after qualifying, and that... Uh, that they measured it too far after qualifying. The FIA said, uh, the FIA hit back saying, we checked your tires three times, once after proper qualifying was done and before, you know, before Super Bowl and twice after Super Bowl, and they were nowhere near the mandated PSI level. Oops. Pascal, Pascal, I know you want to f- defend your boys, but that's inexcusable. Oh, dear. Yeah, and the Mahindra team manager even admitted that they were at fault, saying that their own, that the team's measuring, uh, the team's tire pressuring measuring devices probably weren't calibrated properly. How do you not calibrate a tire pressure meter? <laughs> what is this Bush League stuff? Oh, dear. Just, just do it the old-fashioned way. Get a bicycle pump out. Give it like four. Get a bicycle pump Get your- You know, in the many things that happened this weekend, I forgot to mention the most landmark thing that happened this afternoon in Paris. What happened? For the first time ever, during a race, the skies opened, and we no longer need to go to Glasgow because it <laughs> rained. We had a wet race for the first time. Well, it wasn't just rain, it was hail. Hail came down in yeah. Paris. It was rain and hail! <laughs> it was like F1, it's like FE, we know you're a little bit extra, so here's some hail. Here's some Here's some goddamn hail for 20 minutes. Have some of that. We're, <laughs> Bob Varshawn commentary is literally said, it's that hail, it's going to be like marbles out there. Oh, boy. <laughs> It was, Man, but just like the visual of of when the camera zoomed in close enough and focused just properly, you see the hail just bounce off the yeah. racing surface. That's exactly what I saw. It was it was fucking <laughs> hail. It, it was bouncing off the street. It was ridiculous. We'll get to see. You had to you had to wait four and a half seasons to get a wet Formula <laughs> E race, and it over delivers. <laughs> It's, it's like, no, here's four and a half seasons worth of rainfall in 20 minutes. Have some of this, basically. So, uh, yeah, first time ever, wet race, or partly wet race, because it did start dry, to be fair, but that's all it needed for Oliver Rowland to bin it from the lead after just two laps. <laughs> God yes, damn it, Rowland! Two, two, not, like... It was not not even two laps in. It was on the second lap. We were two minutes into the race. Put it in the barrier. His race wasn't over. That becomes important later. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I am now calling for a nickname change. We are now going to change Roland's first name to Goddammit. Goddammit Roland (laughs) will now be his name. So shall it be written? So shall it be done? Hashtag Goddammit Roland... Bins it after literally 90 seconds of racing. Well done, sir. Um, oh, and then starting alongside him on the front row was his teammate, Sebastian Boilly. 
and things just got worse for Nisa. <laughs> and then Buemi suffers a technical uh, problem. Yes, yes. Buemi had contact with Robin Friends. Uh, Buemi ended up getting a slow puncture. He ended. Uh, <laughs> he had to get it. He had to go to pit lane for a tire change. Entering pit lane, he was caught speeding and was given a, given a drive-through penalty. Oh dear! Isn't that like the second time when he's been speeding in the pit lane this season? Didn't he do that like in Colombia too, if I remember correctly? That was yes in Chile. Yeah, there you go. Chile, that's the one. I got the wrong. I got the wrong South American country. My apologies. But yes, it's the <laughs> second time he's done that this season. God damn it, Buemi! God damn it, Nissan! Oh, Lord. <laughs> Desmo TV did not die and get sold to an independent producing company for this. Yep. More on that later. <laughs> more on 11. That's, that's, um, that's just the title of the show. More on that. It becomes important later. Oh, man. And then we get to about 20 minutes to go in the race. We see Sam Bird in the tire in the uh, the Tech Pro uh, after running into one of the uh, the Mahindras, I believe. Is that Was that Jerome or Pascal? I want to say, oh, 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 I say it was Jerome. Into. Yeah, it was Jerome. Yeah. And then just a few seconds later, here comes Oliver Rowland just yeeting it up the inside and then spare <laughs> by God right in the side of Alexander it, Sims. Oh, Lord. Alex Sims literally did a 900 into the wall. Like, Tony Hawk would have been proud of that one. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah, there's. That would have won best trick at the X Games at San <laughs> oh, Fran, baby. And after he hits, after he slams into Tech Pro, just a hard cut to the BMW Andretti Garage. Everyone's stunned. Uh, like, Bieska Visser's in the background. She's like, what the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> right. Everyone was just. Everyone just looked on in disgust. Like, it was just ridiculous. And, like, uh, Roland, like, I'm not even exaggerating, literally torpedoed Sims into the fence. Like, holy shit. Like, if you have not seen the highlights on YouTube, go out of your way to find it. It's well worth the six minutes of watching. And, yeah, like, I'm not exaggerating. It's literally a Goldberg-level spear into the wall from, from Ollie Roland. And somehow Roland was able to continue. Don't ask me how. Um, like, nothing can stop it. God damn it, Roland. Somehow the carnage was not over. <laughs> somehow the carnage was not over because with 12 minutes to go, we find uh, Alex Lynn's backside parked up on the top of Eduardo Bartara's nose. What, what was Mortara <sighs> thinking? Like, what the fuck was Mortara thinking on that one? Seriously. Doing a call back to Rome. <laughs> Motara's well, like, I'm going to mount him right here and now. Like, Motara, like, tries a audacious dive bomb into the chicane that was never in a million years going to work. And next thing you know, he basically gets catapulted into the fence and Lin is out by Motara being an idiot, for lack of a better term. Silly move for Motara and Lin. Both were taken out of the race as a result of that one. But wait! There's more. Dillman, yeah. Dom Tillman locks the rears and knocks Felipe Maz out of a potential podium And they cut place. to Susie Wolf <sighs> just looking on, just shaking her head in horror as the whole thing went down. Like, Susie was just like, nope, not today. <laughs> not This is not happening. But wait, there's even more. <sighs> 
like, like, didn't like Oliver Turvey hit one of them as well? I think Turvey spat out and, nud- and nudged Mortara as well at someone. Oh no, that no, that was uh, yeah. I was thinking of Dillman. No, it was Turvey. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that was I thought that was a different one. See, there was so many of these. Like, you actually lost count of how many they were by the end of the race. But yeah, it was Turvey that spun out and and, and hit Felipe Massa as well. It was just one of those races where. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and on the final lap, we have uh, we have goddamn uh. Oh man, that's D'Ambrosio and uh, uh I believe that's um is that Lopez? Yeah, Jose Maria Lopez. Pachito Pachito. Oh Pachito. Pachito Pachito is at it again. It's it's a strange story where like literally half the grid is literally unable to handle these conditions and like three or four guys were stupidly good at it. Like it's really, really weird how this turned out. And a lot of this king has been put down to the ill weather tires, no? Uh, not really put down to it, but it's just that we just never seen these conditions before, or like in most other racing series, where not only you have to deal with a wet surface, you also have to deal with little balls of ice on the surface. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, and you know, this is we're in the situation where Formula E runs on all weather Michelin tires, and of course they you know perform well in the dry. They give you you know sufficient grip in the dry but we've never seen conditions like this in the wet where lord oh lord they had less grip than they thought they would precisely that i mean if you're gonna have all weather all weather tires you're gonna compromise somewhere and i think on this case without even realizing after four and a half years they compromise on wet grip who would have thought it? And uh, well, I would say they they weren't too compromised on wet grip because people were able to perform very well on the tires. It's just that no one has any experience on these tires in the wet. Yeah, and it showed during the uh, wild second half of that race. But in the end, coming through and continuing the streak. Of different race winners. We're up to eight somehow. Robin Frins wins his first Formula E race ever. Hooray! Yes. Yes, it was a long time coming. We talked about Evans, a long time coming for him. Frins, you know, this in return season, he looked good in his two years with, uh, again, with that, uh, with Amblin Andretti, uh, really overachieved in some kind of subpar equipment, but. He's back now, and he's won his first race, which you know, the driver of his caliber was always going to come. Yeah, and it's and to add on, this is this is this is Virgin's first race with a new sponsor. Oh baby, <laughs> that's right, Harley Davidson getting in the game. They are one for one, as you know, a, a, a an innovator in uh, electric racing. Because when I think of electric. Uh, cutting-edge electric technology, I think of Harley-Davidson, a company that builds old-fashioned motorcycles on purpose. <laughs> I was too busy thinking of Jack Daniels in the South, personally, but, you know, that works too. <laughs> last last time I checked, Trey, Milwaukee, Wisconsin is not in the South. I'm not American, okay? <laughs> and I sound like it half the time, but technically I'm British, somehow. But here we are. And folks. yes, the cam, they... They, the reason why they've entered a partnership with with Virgin Racing is later on this year, Harley Davidson is releasing their first electric motorcycle, the Livewire. Oh baby, 
finally, a motor that they can't lean out before it goes in a showroom. <laughs> no, but that's that's a really awesome moment yes. for Robin, who I believe this is his first uh, single-seater victory since GP2 Series 2013 with Hilmer Motorsport, yes, a- <laughs> when he was essentially on a race-to-race contract. Yes, it's, it was a long, long time coming. Yeah, Frins himself saying the hardest race of his career to go through and win. And, uh, yeah, a, a brilliant drive from him. Quick rundown of the full result. Robin Frins takes his first ever Formula E victory, just a second behind. I, I, I think Andre Lotterer must be suffering from deja vu. Back-to-back second places and back-to-back narrow losses to the guy in front. What a shame. But, hey, Lotterer back in title contention. Always good to see. Um, oh, but worth, worth mentioning, Tom Dillman had fastest lap, but because he didn't finish in the top 10, it goes to Robin Frin, so he gets 26 points for the victory rather than the usual 25 because oh. um, he, he was the fastest guy of, the, of all the guys in the top 10. Daniel Lapt finishes on the podium in third, everyone's favourite court gesture back where he belongs. Always good to see. Ahead of his teammate, Lucas Degrassi in fourth. Grind, you know, ground and pound from Lucas in the title race from him. Max Gunther, career-high finish for the Dragon team in fifth. Good drive from Max. He needed that. He's had, a, he's had a lot of bad luck in this season so far, so good to see Max Gunther in the top five. Great result from him. Our beloved Jev in, in P6 for T-Cheetah as well, ahead of Antonio Felix da Costa in seventh. Gary Paffett in the points. Hey, for HWA. <laughs> Gary Paffett. Uh, Uncle Gary is up there in eighth place. Um, for him, Felipe Massa in ninth, and Pascal Fe- Pascal Verline rounds off the points in tenth. Also, worth mentioning, despite causing absolute carnage, Rowling gets three points for pole position, despite finishing in twelfth. Championship. Yes, somehow Oliver Rowland finished the race. Yes, he did finish in 12th. No, I don't know how he pulled that off either. I'll get back to you on that one. Championship standings, and it is still stupidly close right now. We have a new championship leader. Yes, it's Robin Frins by a point. <laughs> no, I, I, this championship is frigging bonkers. It's ridiculous. He's a point ahead of Andre Lotterer on 80 points in second. Uh, Antonio Felix da Costa back down to third on 70 points. He's joint third with Lucas, but Luke, like uh, Antonio ahead on count back by both on 70. Jerome D'Ambrosio on 65. He's only scored 12 points in the last four races. Hmm. Jerome, Jerome. no. Jeff. Say it ain't so, Jerome. Oh, hot damn. Um, Janet Vern in sixth on 62 points. Mitch Brah in seventh on 61. Daniel Apton, 8th from 59. Bird, all the way down to 9th from 54 points. And Adora Mortara, who has now had three straight donuts since his first win, down to 10th on 52 points. Team standings, again, still close as all hell. T-Cheetah still on the t- still on top. Amazingly, the top nine have not changed, despite complete carnage. All very close stuff in the end. Um, but the top three are starting to pull away here. T-Cheetah, um, top of the pile with 142. They have a seven-point lead on um, Envision Virgin. Totally not a Harley-Davidson racing on 135. 
Um, Audi Sport now at third on 129, and now Mahindra after a bad run of form for the last three or four rounds are down to fourth on 103. Ahead of Andretti on 88, Venturi on 69, Edams on 68. Nice. Very, well played. <laughs> Jaguar on 62, HWA on 26, and Dragons. Dragon have just basically timed their point haul by 500% by jumping up to 12 after Gunther's fifth place. Still last. Bad times. We're back next week for Formula E at Monaco, who sadly won't be running the Grand Prix circuit. God damn it, FIA! Oof. Oof. Oh, God damn it. Yes. Please send your please send your complaints about the Monaco E Prix circuit to the Federation Internationale de Automobile at uh, 2 Place de la Concorde in Paris, France. Actually, just uh, at Mike underscore Pence. On Twitter. <laughs> yep, sounds good. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> that's staying in. Um <laughs> Oh dear. Should we get into the news, boys? Should we go through the Indy 500 entry list first? I think that's probably a wise idea. Because well, yeah, I, I I think before that we need to just close out close out formally for good and talk about how this might be the last Paris E Prix. Benjamin Griveaux is running for mayor and he wants the Formula E race dead <laughs> because it's the cars are so loud, it's so loud. <laughs> because when you think of of loud cars, you think about the one series that has constantly been complained about for being too quiet. Yes, in in uh, the Paris newspaper Le Parisien, uh, he complained uh, in a column he published there. He complained about Formula E's quote thundering engines and called the series elitist. <laughs> I mean, the second part ain't yeah, wrong, second part ain't, Yeah, second part ain't wrong. First part, mm. yo. <laughs> Though, I, do, I, I need to find out, uh, I need to find Motorsport.com's original article on this. Aren't there enough traffic jams in Paris? Formula E cars reach a 230-kilometer <laughs> top speed. How is that in tune with Parisians' expectations for the average speed during rush hour 16 clicks? Honestly, he's just selling the series at this point. <laughs> I was saying, this sounds like a plug. <laughs> sounds like a plug. But, uh, yeah, in Motorsport.com's original article about this, they went point by, like, they, they, uh, they added in stuff. Like, they put in brackets, like, pointing out each and every single point where the candidate was wrong. <laughs> oh. Yes, like, among the constructors that sponsor the race, the first century level model costs 40,000 euros. Brackets, Mahindra's cheapest model is in fact 6,000. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> like, we, we bash Motorsport.com a lot, but this is the one time that they were on the money. <laughs> Yeah, as it turns out, there are still good people that, yeah, good people still work for Amazon, good people still write for the Motorsport Network. It's like, other point, quote from the candidate, tickets are very expensive, Motorsport.com, it was 55 euro for an adult grandstand seat, and 27.50 euro for concession, all other areas are free. <laughs> oh dear. Oh my god. But yes, uh, 
for other reasons, people found this this candidate to be acting extremely strangely. Uh, he is f- formerly France Secretary of State, uh, and he's a member of the La République en Marche party. Uh, en Marche was the party that uh, President Macron founded after he won the election. Uh, people find this strange because uh, En Marche controlled the city council, and the city council were the people who approved the start of the Paris Ypres in the first place. Oh, that's weird. People people feel that on Mars is taking this position because the per- the current mayor of Paris, who is ex- who is the extremely popular socialist and and Hidalgo, is it is an avid supporter of the Paris Epre. Hmm. Interesting. So, so it seems like this candidate is taking the stance because his opponent loves the Epre. <laughs> Just, just go against whatever the other person is is fighting for. <laughs> we'll do that. And this kid, we'll how politics was born. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Can, like, although, can we get a different track, please? Because I do not like Paris's track at all. Dear God. Yeah, it's it's I, awful. Yeah, the, it's it's very bad. You know what's a track we all love? Indianapolis. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> 36 cars, 34 confirmed drivers. The only TBAs are from Yunkos Racing in their single car, and the 77 of Schmidt Peterson Motorsport. This is likely Oriel Serbia. Is not Jay Howard? We're not bringing back Jay again? Mr. Indy's like riding a bike? Apparently not. Sigh! Seven former winners, seven rookies, 14 Americans, and that's just out of the guys that we know of are going to be there. Indeed, right. I'm going to quickly run down the list. Bear with me here. Deep breath. Joseph Newgarden in the number two car for Penske, as is Helio Castroneves in the number three car as a wild card. Hooray, Helio's back, who still has... Magnificent hair. Great hair. Matt Leist in the number four car for AJ Foyt Racing. In the five car, the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. Please don't get bumped. Um, number seven, his teammate, Marcus Eriksson, also in the arrow car as well. Uh, numbers nine and ten, Scott Dixon, who technically is a wild card for some reason. And Felix Rose. Winner. Well, win- oh, winner. Oh, that's what it stands for. I thought it went for wild card. My bad. <laughs> Dixon in number nine car, of course. And Felix Rosenquest makes making his debut as a rookie in the number ten car for Chip. Um, Will Power, last year's reigning champion in the 12 car, back for Team Penske, of course, as is Tony Kanaan in the 14 for AJ Foyt. Graham Rahal in the 15 car for the United Rentals RLL car, as is Seb Bourdais in the 18 Sealmaster Dale Coyne car. Santino Ferrucci makes his Indy 500 debut alongside him for Dale Coyne as well in the 19. Everybody's favourite motorsports uncle, Uncle Ed! Is back in the number 20 car. Maybe he can convert pole into a victory this year for Red Carpenter Racing. Uh, alongside his, his teammate in number 21, Spencer Piggott, Manchester United fan, finest himself. Simon Pagido in the 22 car for the Maynards Team Penske. Hope you like fluorescent yellow. Um, Charlie Kimball in the 23 car for Carlin. Sage Karam is back. The homeboy is here, everybody. <laughs> Don't all get excited, people. Like, 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 no? <laughs> okay. Sage Charm in the 24 car for Drea and Reinbold Racing. He's back in the 24. Connor Daly is back! Yay! <laughs> Hooray! 
Six out of ten. Um, Connor Daly back in the United States Air Force Andretti car. They they have run another four here. Zach Veach in the 26 car. Alex Rossi in the 27. And Hunter Ray, of course, in the 28. The latter two both being former winners. The 2017 winner, Takuma Sato, is back in the number 30 car for RL as well. Patricio Award makes his debut in the 31 for Carlin. As mentioned, both Junkos cars, the 32 uh, well, one, of the, yeah, one of the drinkers cars, 32, is a team to be announced. We'll get more on that as we get it. James Davison is back in the 33 car for Dale Coin. Um, Pippa Man is back. Yay! She's in the 30, She's in the 39 car for Driven to Save Lives for the Clawson Marshall team. Best of luck, Pippa. Um, number 42, Jordan King, everybody. Re England represent. He's back for RL as well, as is Stanford-educated J.R. Hildebrand in the 48 car. For Dre and Reinbold racing in tribute to uh, one Dan Gurney. He was pretty cool. Max Chilton in the 59 car for, for, for Carlin, as well as Jack Harvey in the 60 again for Maya Shank racing with pink t shirt. Highly recommend. Good shirts. Ed Jones in the 63 car. He's back for Ed Carpenter racing as well. Good to see Ed Jones make a return. Oh, some guy called Fernando Alonso in the 66 car for some team called McLaren. I don't know. Anyone heard of him? No? Never heard of him. Mm. Uh, funny enough. Um, there's a 77 car for Schmidt-Peterson that's yet to be filled yet. More on that soon. Apparently, it's going to be Oriol Servia. Uh, more on that as we get it. <laughs> also, the cup says Pokemon Sensation, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone hasn't seen the latest series of Pokemon Sun and Moon, you'll see exactly what I mean in last week's episode. Just throwing that out there. It's worth a look. There's a guy who looks like Fernando Alonso who's named after Pedro de la Rosa. That sentence is amazing. <laughs> uh, the lot we found the two Spanish drivers. We did indeed. 81, Ben Hanley makes his Indy 500 debut for Dragon Speed. In the 88, Colton Herter makes his first appearance for Harden Steinbrenner Racing. Deep breath. And last man up in the 98 car, Marco Andretti, representing Andretti Herter um, as well. It's a 36 car entry list, which means only one thing. Bump day is back. Oof. Three of them are going home. And it's three this year, not two. Oh, boy. That's going to be fun. Oh, buddy. Good luck picking that one out, as far as I could say. 36 entries, 33 spots for the Indy 500 in the month of May. We'll be obviously breaking all of that down as we get it, most likely in a couple of weeks' time. So, city season stuff, King. And uh, looks like Mons is here to stay. Yes, Monza has a deal to remain on the F1 calendar until 2024. Yay! Hooray! <laughs> um, also, speaking of historic events, um, Silverstone has had to retract that it might have a three-year extension because... Uh, well, they didn't because, retract, uh, but they're not retracting their own story. <laughs> Joe Saywood jumped the gun. Ah, uh, yes, noted friend of the show, Joe Saywood. <laughs> <laughs> Former Golden Cock winner, I should say. Um, oh, we're actually leaving this one in. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No, no, I insist you keep that in. Um, <laughs> yeah, he came out and claimed that Silverstone had a new three-year agreement in place. Silverstone themselves had to tweet him and say, uh, no, we haven't confirmed that yet at this time. So, uh, yeah, more on that if we get it. But, uh, yeah, uh, journalism's, journalists jumping the gun here, folks. Silverstone isn't confirmed yet. It probably will be, but, you know, more on that as we get it. Don't say probably. Uh, Don't say probably. 
Really? Uh, <laughs> he, ye of little faith, I say. Uh, also, some Canada WBC 2009. News Canada 2009. <laughs> oh, and we, we almost missed uh, the one juicy rumor that's coming up. Um, the Dutch Grand Prix might be back, but we might lose the Spanish Grand Prix in its place. Yes. Yeah, yeah, ob- uh-huh. um, yes, because essentially, uh, for the one thing, it's very profitable to see the return of the Dutch Grand Prix, which we'll most likely see it in Sanford, and obviously it needs to be on the European section of the calendar, and the most logical place to put it would be at the start, so it doesn't clash with the Belgian Grand Prix at the end of the European season. So, and it seems like funding... Uh, the Catland government doesn't feel like it's in their best interest to fund the Spanish Grand Prix anymore. Yeah, it looks like not only Spain, but we'll lose the other Spanish-speaking country on the calendar in Mexico City as well once their contracts run out. Yeah. Because, Definitely for MotoGP, apparently. Yeah, because there are four venues with contracts that expire at the end of the season. Uh, we already covered Monza. They're safe until 2024. Mexico City, Hockenheim, and Silverstone all have contracts that expire at the end of this year. How much do you want to bet Hockenheim bites the dust again? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you not know who our five-time reigning constructors world champions are? That didn't stop him two years ago when it mysteriously vanished. <sighs> or, or do you have to get the five before people take you seriously? Is that, is that a German <laughs> thing? I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. Oh boy! Right, so that's the calendar. More on that soon, most likely. WEC news and uh, New Zealand's favourite son is back in the series. Everybody, no, yep. not Scott. Brendan's Dixon. coming home. Brendan's coming home. Fernando Alonso is leaving Toyota Gazoo Racing for next season, and filling in is Brendan Hartley, Toyota's new factory driver. Yay, Brendan's back. Yes. Well, yes, yes, they've added they've added the one they've added more talent to the only factory team in the premier class. <laughs> should have, like, they should have like their official announcement should have just been a, a tweet with like a picture of Brendan Hartley and just like hashtag when you thought we weren't dominant enough. Oh, did they actually tweet that? No, no, I just made that up. I, I oh, literally said, gosh. "I literally said that's what they should have done." I missed that bit. <laughs> Thank God. Like, if they had done that, I'd have given them like hundred and fifty retweets. <laughs> I, I'd have bought, I'd have bought the bots to make sure that happens. That would have been hilarious. Um, but yes, Brendan Hartley is in the house. Who here is surprised that Fernando Alonso quit the moment he won the five hundred? <laughs> You mean you mean the twenty four hours? Close enough. <laughs> uh, you knew what I meant. Well, he's got time to win another one, and then he could do do that. Yes, and Alonso and then, has promised oh. that he'll come back <laughs> for motherfucking what? I don't know. For he's what? A, <laughs> for whom? He said that he's a he's a hundred percent sure that he will come back to WEC. I don't know why. For what? You, for, He's already had the greatest Le Mans win ever, according to some, some guy called Fernando Alonso. <sighs> yeah, what are you going to come back to? We don't even know what the top class is going to look like <laughs> by the time he's able to come it's back. It's going to be Donald Glover showing up to the pizza party. 
Hey, speaking of miraculous dumpster fires, do we want to get a live react of this Talladega Left Behind thread? Oh, I have yet to see it. Do I want to open it? <laughs> okay, so what So what happened? We had a race at Talladega. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Chase Elliott won. It was a fun race. But uh, Talladega Super Speedway, their social media people, posted a Twitter thread of things left behind on the infield. Oh, oh boy. Uh, so it starts with a pillowcase. We have some elbow braces. Um, one caption: We're just going to hope these two things go together. There is a a loose brassiere, <laughs> and a, uh, a bra form. Oh, uh, um, I have a lot of I have a lot of I have a lot of questions to ask about this. A mannequin yeah, and so, a bra. Yeah. So we got an old uh, CRT style TV <laughs> that is upside down, but then an upgrade to a flat screen display. Well, I do love on the CR on the CRT display that their caption is when you're at Dega, but you can't miss the latest episode of Seinfeld. Oh my god! <laughs> there is a wooden stake being driven through somebody's tent that was left behind. We have a uh, swimming pool inside of a. Hang on, can we go, can we go back here a minute? Who the fuck leaves behind a flat screen TV? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you if you carefully look at the top of the screen, you can see that there is visible damage. Ah, someone's throwing a beer bottle at it. I see. <laughs> gotcha. See, we got a towel. We got a we got a blow dryer that looks like it's twenty five <laughs> years old. There's a there's a fire that's got cans of Bud Light and bags of Doritos it's, on it's, it. That's this old ratty couch. It's a trash fire. <laughs> it is a literal trash fire. It's a literal dumpster fire. Wow. Oh no, not again. <laughs> carpet. What, 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 what is going on here? It's carpet. We have this 50-year-old reclining chair with a pack of Golden Hate Flake Sweet Heat Barbecue Flavored Potato Chips. This is America. This is peak America. <laughs> there is no It's Cool Guys literally anywhere, but the actual empty trash can right there is totally fine with garbage surrounding the trash can. Gee, why? <laughs> A bottle a of Helen's mayonnaise. King is dying. Lots of Smucker's Uncrustables, peanut butter and jelly, and a can of Bush Light and a Pedialyte that says "College Starter Pack." There's <laughs> <laughs> a bottle of Pedialyte. <laughs> a burned up recliner. Uh, a hot tub time machine. How? I don't know. I, I, I want to know how we got to this point where there is literally a smoldering recliner and then like a perfectly good loaf of bread next to it. How? It looks like Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace have melted into the infield service. Oh, well, wait, that's just cardboard stand-ups of them? <laughs> yeah, someone stole the Coca-Cola family cardboard stand-ups and destroyed them. <laughs> There's a, Why? there's a discarded bike seat. Uh, there's a sign that says free paint, and there's a word in the middle that I'm assuming has been censored out. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth would fill in that gap? Oh, no, I don't um, know. You don't want to know. I, VIP lounge in the back is going to cost you. Et- <laughs> that is a ratty old couch. <laughs> a, a ratty old couch surrounded by, you know, like those security barriers you see at like wrestling venues and concerts. Oh my god. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, a number nine made out of beer cans stuffed into the fence. And of course, a banana in the garage. <laughs> That sounds like that sounds like euphemism for something. No, it's literally it's literally a banana in the garage. 
Right. <laughs> just. Oh dear. Like, I love that the number one reply to this thread was Might regret asking this, but what would be the most memorable piece left behind for you guys? The reply was We had an abandoned school bus last fall. It got picked up later, thank goodness. Literally, the replies Auto Club Speedway. Yes, another track. Replies Best feed ever. <laughs> <laughs> How is this? How are you hemorrhaging viewers with this? This is gold. I need a half an hour TV show after every race dedicated to this. Oh God! So I can so, put this on paper. So Dre, someone Talladega did reply to that comment that you talked about. Their reply: We had an abandoned school bus last fall. It got picked up later. Thank goodness. I don't. I, I just. How? <laughs> Who leaves the entire school bus? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> this is the most American you know, thing in the history of this show, and I'm surrounded by two Americans. <laughs> the, like, Tony Stewart Racing goes best Fred ever. <laughs> Chicago Ooh. Land Speedway, absolutely amazing. <laughs> I just... This is so America. Oh my god. Oh, probably the headline of the weekend. MotoGP hits up the European part of their calendar. They're racing her F this weekend. That should be fun. Hopefully we don't get pinball like we had last year between uh, Danny Pedrosa and the two Ducatis. Uh, not a fun time. Will Mark Marquez retain his, uh, his crown of winning here last year? Who knows? It should be fun. Um, we have the WEC in Spa. And, and the worst ever tweet to promote it. Did anyone see this on the WEC's Twitter feed? No. Uh, no, I didn't. Is it is it as bad as the Alonzo's the best WEC driver ever tweet? Worse. Worse. Hang on. Oh, found it. I can, found I, it. Hang on. In, live reaction in the Discord in three, two, one. <sighs> no. See, not only are they behind <laughs> the times, but man... I, I don't know what to say. Um, that's top three reasons to watch the six hours of Spar. One, that's Master. But actually, two, that's Stavolo. Actually, three, that's Blanchimo. Actually, so, for nothing wrong with me. <laughs> so, 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 RJ, I ask you a big favor. In post, uh-huh. can you can you censor every time Trey says that corner name <laughs> and just have people fill in the blank? Okay, I think we can do this. Also, we also please do not roast Codemaster social media folks for adding microtransaction F1 2019, but roast the WEC's social media coordinator and roast Chase Bank's social media coordinator a second time. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. I, I, I wholeheartedly approve of this notion. You can put a beat behind that and make it sound really funny. Um, IMSA at Mid-Ohio. Hooray! Yay! That's going to be fun. Super GT at Fuji. Now, RJ, you, you got to talk to me about the madness that's um, been going on in Super GT this weekend. So, the former Nismo TV, now known as Let's Go Racing, had a deal in place to show the rest of the season, starting this Saturday at Fuji. And then uh, some other company but bid in and uh, wanted exclusive rights. Uh, Motorsport TV 
Now, in fairness, they did decide not to do the complete dickbag move, and they're actually making the phrases free to air for the whole season, which is good. Very good. To be fair, it's 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 a it's a decent compromise given that RJ wanted to pull his hair out when he first heard about this this move until we found out it was free. Uh, I don't blame him because uh, oh, that could have been a yep. shitter. Now it's only a minor shitter. Now, <laughs> mo- yeah, you, now, motorsports.tv, can you please? Take World Sidecar Cross out from behind the paywall, please. Excuse me? No, no, we need to lock the footage and bury that deep underground like all those copies of E.T. on Super <laughs> Nintendo. Oh, yeah, and we got uh, we got DTM and the W Series. Yes, DTM. And DTM as well. DTM with their season opener at the Hockenheim Ring. First year with this new generation of cars. And on the support card... We won't be getting European Formula Masters, but we will be getting the W Series. Cool. Please watch. That would be nice. Prove that women in motorsport are worth backing, even if it's partly run by a guy that once said them that female drivers' mothering instincts would prevent them from being good racing hey, drivers. They, they, Don't ask me how we got to this somehow point. Somehow the W Series have wrangled an all-star broadcast team. I did see that though. It's like freaking Kravitz and Mackenzie and jeez. And David Coulthard's there too, because yeah, he owns because he owns a yeah, production company. Because yeah, yeah, Whisper Films, Jake Humphrey's lot, basically. Yeah, so you know that that'll be fun. Like I said, I know it's got problematic guys running it, but please watch if yes. you can. If he, if because you know this is important. I know you may not like the idea or the concept, but women in motorsport as a whole need back in, and it's probably for the greater good if you watch it. So please do if you yes. can. Fly totally legal sources. And your quickie DTM season preview. Uh, obviously, Mercedes-Benz will not be returning this season. That means for the third time since 2006, the reigning DTM champion will not compete. Uh, and also, the remaining manufacturers have vowed not to sign any <laughs> Mercedes driver. So yes... The reigning champion, Gary Paffett, is not participating. Uh, Aston Martin will compete with uh, with only four cars. <laughs> so Aston Martin's lineup is Paul DeResta, Danny Yungadea, Ferdinand Habsburg, and Jake Dennis. Good, Good stuff. stuff. And also, we'll be seeing wildcard entries from the, uh, from the Super GT, GT500 manufacturers this season. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that is going to be interesting. Yep, I don't know what rounds that each of the manufacturers will be wildcarding at, but we will see at least one wildcard appearance from uh, a Honda, a Lexus, and a Nissan. Run from it, dread from it, Rast still wins the championship. <laughs> Rast still, Red A Rast retains. Yes. Fun, Fun times. Should we yep. get out of here? Yes, before we get in any more trouble. Yeah, it's been a wild ride this week. It really has. Let's get the uh, hell out of the uh, Basically, you can find us one more time. I found out. I know when the wildcard... All three wildcard entries will be appearing at the season finale at the end of the year. So one car from... Oh, yeah, I could have told y'all that. Yeah, one car from each of the manufacturers at the season finale. Uh, teams and drivers still unknown. Good stuff. Cheers, man. Now we can right. get out of here. <laughs> 
Now we can get out of here. Places you can find us one more time. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Check out the new video. It will be out by the time this goes out. Probably. <laughs> um, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. At Harrison 101 HD. At Ryan Eric King. At RJ O'Connell for our personal handles. Website Motorsport101.com. And Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. 10 bucks gets you into our support. Supporters Club on Discord, so you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Special thanks to Cam, to Jason, to Isle of Mert, to James, who's listening in Australia right now. We have Jose in here, hi. Um, and we have Rezzy all the way from Singapore, who got up at 3 in the morning to listen to this damn show. Um, what is wrong with him? Like, seriously, I don't understand Indonesia. Him, but... <laughs> Indonesia, my apologies. I've said Singapore. I have F1 on the brain. That's my problem. I was thinking of the I was thinking of the Grand Prix and not the country itself. My apologies, Rezzy. But uh, we'll get out of here before I get into any more trouble. <laughs> That's what I did. We'll be back next week to talk about something, <laughs> I guess. MotoGP. That'll be fun. See you next week. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for watching. And sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye.